Heroes get remembered. Here's the windup. Legends never die. Fastball hits deep to right. This could be it. Way back there. Oh, Welcome to Hardball. Today, I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. Major League Baseball's history in first person. Conversations that span almost 20 years. It is 9.46 p.m. With the men who saw and made that history. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Many of whom are no longer with us. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Stories from the 1930s. To the 21st century. This is Hardball. Dad, you want to have a catch? Welcome into Hardball. My name is Chris Domino, and this is our continuing trek through the history of baseball, one conversation at a time. If you are new to Hardball, thanks for finding us. If the name of today's guest was the reason you hit play, I hope you find this conversation interesting enough to look at the list of previous episodes and find time to listen to a few of those as well. If you're back, thank you for that. I know there are a lot of options in a very cluttered world of podcasts, so the fact that you make time for our entry tells me that the goal of doing these and offering them up is not about pulling big numbers but about making something different available to both baseball fans and history fans. While we certainly spend most of these conversations talking about the game, players, teammates, opponents, wins and losses, there is always a lean to understanding that what was going on in the country is a backdrop to all of that. Social history has been, and always should be, a current that runs through the basic consciousness of context. The question of why needs to be an underlying theme. And in the case of today's guest, never is social and sports met at a crossroad, then followed a singular path after that intersection. Before we get started, I do ask that if you haven't, please hit subscribe. That will alert you when a new episode drops. A general reminder that we are here. And if you have a minute and you listen on Apple or iTunes, please rate. That's the star thing. And write a review if you so please. That helps let others know we exist. April 15th, 1947, a day 74 years ago that still has not been completely unpacked in its impact. Arguably, I vote on the side of yes, the most important day in baseball history, and a day that certainly, there is no debate on this one, sets up as the day in sports history that rightfully sets up for a moment of reflection, a celebration, but also a time to ask what took so long. Our guest today has the distinction of living through the entire story, both publicly, but more importantly, privately, and she was kind enough years ago to sit down with me to discuss some of that. Rachel Annetta Robinson has led and continues to lead an exemplary life in that she decided long ago that presenting opportunity for those who might not have it otherwise creates multi-generational change. One life changed is never one life changed. Truth be told, her life story should be made into a movie. And while as Jackie called her the backbone of all of this, Rachel Robinson was not one to sit on the sideline. A life that including obtaining her master's degree in psychiatric nursing from NYU to becoming the director of nursing at the Connecticut Medical Health Center after in at the Yale School of Nursing. The start of the Jackie Robinson Foundation, her life's work in civil rights awareness, and the keeper of her husband's legacy, something that she has held tightly to. It took much convincing to allow the movie 42 to be made, and to understand her role in all of that is celebrated on Jackie Robinson Day, I suggest you pick up a copy of a book she authored in 1996, Jackie Robinson, An Intimate Portrait. As some of you know, my dad grew up in Brooklyn, a huge Dodger fan, and I in turn know more about the Brooklyn Dodgers and their baseball team than most who were born after they left for Los Angeles. I love 
the stories of neighborhood, community, the stories of heartbreaking losses, and the unexplainable joy of finally winning the 1955 World Series, thank God against the Yankees. I say this to let you know that my dad lived in Brooklyn and worked in Manhattan, started in 1952, and I remember him telling me of a chance meeting with Jackie on a street corner, waiting for a light to change, as Jackie was working for the Chock Full of Nuts Coffee Company and heading to a meeting. I had the pleasure to meet Mrs. Robinson twice, once just an introduction that helped lead to this conversation, then a few years later in St. Louis, where I had the opportunity to sit with her for about 20 minutes in a hotel lobby. 80 plus years old at the time, incredible presence, and more than that, a lack of self-import, an overwhelming aura that was built around what can only be described as exorbitant grace. I'm sitting here now thinking about how many times Jackie's name has come up in conversations I've had with other players and people in the game. In previous hardball episodes alone, Joe Morgan, Vin Scully, Carl Erskine, Monty Irvin, Larry Doby, and more to come when I post Duke Snyder and Ed Charles and others. I wish I would have spent more time with her here, but the greatest honor of 27 years of working in this profession came out of this conversation. A follow-up phone call I got from a representative of the foundation. They asked for two copies of this, one for them and the other to be archived in a collection that they were putting together at the time for a dual project with the Baseball Hall of Fame and the Smithsonian. I have no idea where it is, but just the ask alone still makes me smile. Here's just a small taste of the life of both Jackie and Rachel Robinson on our newest episode of Hardball. Lastly, ladies and gentlemen, my wife, who has been such a wonderful inspiration to me and the person who has guided and advised me throughout our entire marriage. I, I couldn't have been here today without her help. I'm very proud of the, of the foundation. We had an, a dream and an idea, and we had no money but we had other resources and we uh, were determined that a living legacy should be established in Jack's name in order to carry the legacy forward. Our, our whole effort is to spread the effect of what we do by educating people and by getting people involved in the problems that we all still have to solve. I have such fond memories of Jack's induction in 1962. It was a glorious day for our family. I'm just so delighted that the Academy is supporting the film. And I must tell you that I'm thrilled by the film. I'm particularly interested in having it. children and young people see it because I think it's not only educational, but it's very inspiring. And they will get a sense of what the challenges are in life and how to turn an obstacle into a challenge and do something about it. Meeting her made me understand that the movie is about them, how they persevered through this experience. They had to carry a huge burden, the two of them. Miss Jackie Robinson joins us right now. Mrs. Robinson, thank you very much for spending some time with us tonight. How are you this evening? I'm just fine, Chris. Thank you for asking. Well, thank you again for coming on. I do want to get a couple of things straight. I've read a lot of material about Jackie and his life, and as I said, on the field, very easy to talk about when it comes to numbers. Certainly, Hall of Fame credentials there. But outside the game of baseball is where I think Jackie Robinson really made more headway than most Americans in the history of this country. And I'd like to talk to you about some of those things. I'm, I'm very interested in talking about that part of his life, too. Thank you. 1944, Ms. Robinson, true or false, Lieutenant Jackie Robinson refuses to vacate a seat in the front of an Army bus. He's court-martialed and then in turn later acquitted. That's correct. Did he ever meet Rosa Parks? Because 1956, 12 years later, obviously, Rosa Parks helps put civil rights on the map as well. Did she and Jackie ever have a chance to, to have a face-to-face -face meeting? Not to my knowledge. I don't, I don't think he did meet her. I'm sure he would have talked about it with great pride. But I don't think he ever did meet with her. Was that one of the first examples of Jackie Robinson, the man, making sure that 
And we'll talk about a couple of things about what he was supposed to do and what he had to do in 1947 and beyond. But is that maybe for you one of the most compelling stories about Jackie that three years before baseball ever came into his life professionally, he was taking this type of stand? Yes, it's it's an indication of the kind of person he was he was uh, uh, developing into, and I think he saw we saw that in Pasadena at UCLA, um, at his in his during his college years. So, um, Mr. Ricky, when Mr. Ricky scouted him, these were things he knew about him that attracted him to Jack. True or false? All American in football and basketball, supposedly baseball, the weakest of all the sports, but those avenues were extremely close to African Americans at the time, both football and professional basketball. Yes, both were both were close. Kenny Washington, his teammate at UCLA, finally broke the color barrier in football. And Jackie was the only four-time Letterman, I believe, in UCLA Bruin history. He was the first, yes. Unbelievable. Yes. And now the stadium, I believe, that the UCLA Bruins play in is actually named after him as well. Yes, and has a wonderful statue of him. 1945, 1945, his first meeting with Branch Rickey, true or false? Did Mr. Rickey actually spend a good portion of that meeting kind of coming down very heavy on Jackie about the things that he was going to hear to find out what kind of medal he might have? Yes, he he did a role-playing session, actually, to... um, put him through some of the circumstances that he thought he was going to be faced with and to get his reaction, and also as a way of preparing him for what he thought uh, was to come. And no matter what happened in that office, let's be very honest, you could not prepare him or yourself for what was to come right after that. No, there was no way to do that. Uh, I think it was good that Mr. Ricky went through that that session with him because it certainly was a heads-up, if you will. Hmm. This is the way it's going to be. Um, it couldn't carry the emotional trauma that that uh, occurred when it when the situations actually occurred in reality. There's also a sentence that I've read. Did Jackie really promise three years of quote unquote good behavior to Mr. Ricky at that point? He said that's that's a that's a debatable point. I mean, uh, Jack said I will um, conform to what you ask you're asking of me as long as necessary. And some say he established two years. Some say three years. Um, the other thing that that is somewhat uh, confusing is who called, who said when time when the time was up. I think that Jack and Mr. Ricky both could see by 1949 that uh, Jack was there to stay, and that the things that they had been concerned about—riots in the stands, and players fighting each other, and teams running into each other, and Jack being hurt, and all that—had not occurred. So that time frame might have actually been about Jackie Robinson, a baseball player, proving his worth, and also maybe having a little faith in the American public that it might not get as bad as the worst-case scenario they imagined. Absolutely, because black fans were flocking to the stadiums in unprecedented numbers, and they didn't create a riot um, or tense circumstances in, in the North, certainly. Now, you mentioned the dollar aspect of it. Some had mentioned that Branch Rickey knew that there would be financial rewards do you think of this in that light at all, in any way, shape, or form? Oh, I absolutely do. I think that uh, Branch Rickey was a consummate businessman. Uh, he wanted to um, create uh, new things. He, he created the minor leagues is, is one big example. Uh, and, yes, he wanted to bring in new talent into the game. But that does not uh, take away from his social concerns. No. And uh, I would, since I was there and since I saw him, uh, stick with us in, in uh, wonderful ways of loyal to us to the very end. 
that I know that was not his only concern. Now, to this day, I notice that you still call him Mr. Ricky as well. All the players and all the wives called him Mr. Ricky. Jackie called himself an experiment at that time, too, didn't he? Well, the social experiment was uh, a kind of a label that was attached to what Jack was involved with. Do you believe in fate at all? Mm, yes. The, the reason I ask, do you think that this was an occasion where two men meet and actually they were able to, to maybe take themselves to heights that they wouldn't have met without each other? I think they were very uh, interdependent. I think they couldn't have, neither could have done it without the other. And I think the other thing that was fortuitous, and you could call it fate, was that they were, they shared certain character, uh, certain aspects of their character were similar. They were both very religious men. They were very attached to their families. So they hit it off very well and became um, what I call a, a very effective pair. How comfortable was it for you to be associated with the wives and other family members. I know Carl Erskine was one who came forward. I know Pee Wee Reese, a man born in Kentucky, came forward. But I also know that there was a faction of that locker room and then around the game of baseball that really wanted nothing to do with this. How did it ultimately affect you and your family? Um, that part of it didn't affect me uh, in a negative way because I didn't have to play with those fellows. Jack did. And what when you go to work, you don't always make friends with your with your people that you're associated with. So. Even though some of the wives, most of the wives welcomed me into the wives section, if some did not make any effort to do that, uh, it didn't matter to me because I had my eye on the field, and I wanted to know what was uh, that's where the um, the drama was carried out, and that's where the things that mattered really uh, occurred. So I was really um, kind of oblivious to any kind of snub, if you will, uh, in this wives section. Were you a big baseball fan? I was not a baseball fan. I'd never been to a game till Jack played in the majors. At UCLA, we didn't attend foot uh, baseball games. We went to football and basketball games. So I, I had to learn the game. Uh, I went to every home game. And we were, in those days, not permitted to travel on the road because they had roommates and it was an economic factor and so on and so on. Now I think they have suites or something. <laughs> but... Uh, um, I, I, I learned to love the game uh, over time, but I had no knowledge of it in the, initially. When you actually saw Jackie play at the major league level, did you know he was as good, if not better, than most? Oh, yes. I saw that in Montreal. I mean, immediately, you just knew that this, this man, let alone your husband, this man was different, better than most everybody else that was taking the field with him? Well, it, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, I didn't have to wait for, to see that. He, he was such a fine athlete in the other sports at in college when we were there together that uh, I knew those some of those skills were transferable to another sport. Did you and he actually have sit-downs about how tough this might be, or was was he more private in that regard? No, we he was more private, and we didn't have sit-downs about, well, let's be uh, aware of this and be on an alert for that. We kind of played it as it came to us, and... I think that was probably a better way because if he was, an antici was anticipating trouble, mm -hmm. he kept it to himself. Was there a night maybe when he came home over, over the course of the first year, the set, whether it be Montreal or, or in Brooklyn, that you thought tomorrow might not work out the way that you had hoped in regards to Jackie saying or doing something that maybe, and I don't even like to use the expression he wasn't supposed to do, but that is almost the way it seemed. He wasn't supposed to do certain things. Did you think there was a night where tomorrow you thought it could all actually go awry? It, uh, I had to have faith in his two things. One, his ability to discipline himself because this was alien behavior for him. And I had seen he had a temper and he was able to respond to injustice in a flash. And so I knew that was that potential was always there. 
But also, I, early on, he began to sense that what he was doing was not just for himself, but for our race, and that he was able to transcend some of the things that were coming at him just because he had that larger goal in mind that he had to do this so there would be others who followed him into the majors. And we're also going to talk in a second about some of the things that he did off the field after baseball that, again, I find much more compelling than Jackie Robinson, a baseball player. Uh, certainly Jackie Robinson, the man, had a lot to do after his playing days were done. But I've got to ask first, if not for baseball, what do you think Jackie would have done? He, uh, well, he had anticipated before Mr. Ricky called him, he, he was thinking of going back to uh, UCLA or someplace in, in Los Angeles and become a coach. Um, or a high school coach. He was. Those were the kind of things that were running through his mind. Something that he could do with the talent he had, the knowledge he had, and with the degrees he had. What was his proudest moment? Do you know? I mean, was that something that was discussed, or would you only be speculating? I would only be speculating because there were so many, and I think we need to remember that because everybody focuses in on the troubles, as I call mm -hmm. them. But uh, he could not have withstood the troubles if he hadn't had wonderful times as well. He, had, he was on a winning team. They won seven pennants. We finally became world champs. He had three children. He, he was very eager to have a family, and he was very proud of them and proud of that. Um, we had a good marriage that was, in fact, strengthened by the trouble on the outside. It was like we bonded quickly and, and very tightly around being uh, two against the world, if you will. And so he had a lot of, um, of the good things in life, won all of baseball's honors, and uh, many tributes in the civil rights movement. Did you think you would be able to handle what was going to go on? You just mentioned you got stronger two against one. Was that a situation that you look forward to, or, or was there some apprehension on your part? Oh, there's always apprehension because there's always threat in the situation. Mm -hmm. A physical threat. There's physical threat in the situation. We got hate mail, um, which was very explicit about what they would plan to do to us or to our children. Um, we knew that sometimes people carry out those threats, so... I would say there was some anxiety in it, yes. Was there a low moment that you know of? A lowest moment where you just, where, I, don't, I don't want to say threw up his hands, but a moment where, you know, you start to contemplate and reflect, and has all of this been worth it? Uh, I think there were times when he would come home and say, um, I don't know if it's worth it, and, and get up the next morning and go with the same uh, vigor and enthusiasm as he had most of the time. Well, that would say something about a family life then, if so over the recovered. course of an evening, right. Yes, he would recover. How about you, your proudest moment? I don't have a proudest. Again, I, every time one of my children was born, I was, it was like magic and wonderful for me. Uh, when we finally won, won the, the world championship after seven tries, uh, that was a thrilling uh, day for us. Um, when Jack was inducted into the Hall of Fame, it was a thrilling day for us. So there's been so many that I, cannot, I can't even compare them. Mrs. Robinson, was there a low moment for you? Um, the lowest moment in my life was the, the death of my son, Jackie Jr. And you've spoken very openly about some of the problems, and, and Jack spoke very openly about maybe some of the things that he thought might have been shortcomings on his part. That, that's a tragedy beyond belief, and to actually kind of do it in, in the public forum has got to be something that takes that tragedy to another level. Yes, it, it is something that um, you, you never forget. You do um, adjust to it. But we adored that child and uh, worked very hard with him and um, were um, devastated by his death. And, and Jackie, again, and yourself being so public, did, did you find that were people more compassionate? Was there a skepticism? Was there anything that made that experience, obviously the experience itself being as tragic as it is, 
or was there comfort and solace in the fact that you had so many people that you knew probably pretty well at that point to, to help stand you up a little bit? Uh, there was a great deal of comfort and a great deal of um, um, sympathy for our situation, a lot of support, um, and um, a lot of empathy because people uh, were beginning to have their own children mm -hmm. have some of the same problems. with They had uh, children, young people who had gone to the Vietnam War, as Jackie had, and they uh, were uh, very in tune with what we were suffering through. Did Jackie feel helpless at some of those times, Jackie uh, Sr.? Was there a helplessness at, at, at some point when you're dealing in that type of situation? Yes, there is. There is. If you, if you see you're not reaching your child and you cannot help that child, uh, you do feel helpless. And there were times when that was the case with him. The retiring of Jackie's number a couple of years back, was that the best way to serve and honor him? Because I've actually heard an argument that said, why not have players maybe come forth and say, this is why I would like to wear number 42. Yeah, what are that, your thoughts on that? Well, it, it, I thought both, I, we've thought about it in, two, in both ways. Um, initially, I thought, oh, don't, don't retire the number because players cannot use that number to express their, um, their, their tribute to Jack mm -hmm. and their respect for him. And on the other hand, um, I've been to ballpark subsequently, and I see that number retired on, on the wall, and kids ask questions about it, and I think maybe that will have more impact than the individual choosing to wear it. So the, lines of, so. Yeah, the lines of conversation might actually open up a little bit as you go to those ballparks? Yeah, what is that number? Why, mm -hmm. why do people want to wear 42? Why is this? Why is that? I mean, and we're working with a lot of children. Uh, we're working with older young people uh, at the Jackie Robinson Foundation. Uh, where we give uh, uh, scholarships mm -hmm. to young people through uh, four years of college. And you've been doing this for quite a while now. We're uh, in our 26th year, yes, and we're very proud of our progress. Um, we have a 92% graduation rate. We've served over 500 students. And just so people know, 92% is phenomenal when you consider really what the normal dropout rate might be over a four-year period. Absolutely. That's the highest in the country in terms of completion. Well, congratulations on that. I've got to Thank ask you. a couple of things. What do you still have in terms of memorabilia? I have, I've kept everything. Did you? Well, no, I take that all back. Whatever the Hall of Fame didn't take from you, perhaps? No, 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 I take that all back. I didn't keep everything. I never kept baseball cards, and I, my only chance to be a millionaire, I threw, I swept <laughs> out of the basement. Yeah, just like a lot of other moms yeah. around the country. But I have kept Jack's um, Army uniforms, which I've now lent to the Hall of Fame for a couple of years, uh, two or three of his uh, home uh, flannels and, and, and his away suit. Um, did the, and, did the Hall of Fame take anything from that first game? Uh, the Hall of Fame, I have only given the Hall of Fame two things. One is Jack's uh, uniform, uh, and one is his Army uniform. Okay. I have said for years that the one piece of memorabilia, and I'm not, I mean, I'm on record for six years of saying it, the one piece of memorabilia, that hat from that first game, and if I could actually do any interview at any time, five minutes before Jackie took the field in that first game, that would be the one sports, hell, not even sports interview, that would be the one overall interview. If I could get inside his head for just a minute before that game, I think it might be as fascinating as anything that was ever done. Yes, probably, or you'd get nothing, and he would be totally concentrating on what he was about to do. Would I have to do it about an hour and a half before the first game Probably, instead of five minutes? Probably, because he was that kind of person who, was, who could concentrate very strongly on what he was about to do. Did you realize the historical perspective? Because the thing that's amazing to me is it was actually third or fourth paragraph in a whole bunch of the newspaper stories. This was not a headline after that first game. No, it was not, and uh, I hadn't realized that so much until the 50th anniversary, uh, and we did a review of all the papers and found out that it wasn't heavily covered.
Uh, a couple of more things. Mrs. Jackie Robinson, again, Mrs. Rachel Robinson joining me tonight on Bardball. Again, I want to thank her for her time. I've just got to ask as well about Jackie's life after baseball. He seemed to approach it and attack it like he knew that his legacy was not going to be set in stone until the day he passed, which maybe is more telling about the man than what he did on a baseball field. Um, yes, he felt that after he left baseball that economic development and political activism were the two frontiers for us as, as a people. And so he worked very hard to get into business. He was a founder of the Freedom National Bank. He worked very hard to get his own business started. He only got a fledgling business started, but uh, he got very active in politics because he wanted to be uh, the kind of voter who was thoughtful and who picked someone that he thought would uh, serve well in, in uh, the Congress. And, and to the nation. So he was an activist right straight through until his until he died. And he was very public about who he backed politically as well. Absolutely, he was. The last couple of years, did he think he made the right choices politically? He made, I, I think he acknowledged himself that when he supported Nixon mm -hmm. and the Republicans that that was a mistake. And um, Because he stayed away from John Kennedy and yeah. uh, which is really amazing because I believe Mr. Kennedy was actually one of the ones who put, you know, say what you want about John Kennedy, but he did put forth some of the, the bigger issues in the South. And the things that I've read about Jackie, he kind of regretted that maybe he made the wrong choice in 1960. Well, he also had met with Je John Kennedy, mm -hmm. and Kennedy said, said to him that he did not really fully appreciate or understand the plight of black people, and that put Jack off. So um, he then turned, uh, the second part of his strategy was that the Democrats felt, and I'm a, a dyed-in-the-wool Democrat, uh, the Democrats felt that they had us in their hip pocket. They didn't have to make any special overtures to us or any concessions. And the tokenism that maybe came with, hey, let's have Jackie Robinson come up and speak for us, I'd imagine that kind of hurt a little bit if that was the feeling that he got back and you got back as well. No, that, 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 that wasn't what he was after. What he was after is representation in both parties. So as he was a registered independent, and he voted for the Republicans because he felt that we were not represented in the Republican Party. That's still uh, something that's being worked on and it's still evolving. Um, and he didn't want to just fall into the Democratic camp because we were historically Democrats. And he said while being political, parties were not something that were going to be drawn up as set and fast. It was going to be issue to issue, individual, individual to individual. Yeah, and individual, right. yes. Individual's preferences, yes. So he was very acutely aware of that. And tried for something that uh, that is still evolving. Last one for you again tonight, Mrs. Rachel Robinson. Jackie Robinson Foundation, 90% completion ratio after college scholarships have been given out through the foundation. Again, phenomenal. Although we worked hard to bring awareness to the masses, do you think Jackie passed somewhat disillusioned about the direction the country was in around 1972? Was this... He wanted he a lot it, more. Yeah, did he think a change had been made? Did he think that things had been going away? And I'm not just talking about inequalities based on race. But there were other inequalities in the world that he spoke about. Did he think enough was done, or did he pass maybe, I don't, I don't want to say depressed, but was he was he downtrodden a little bit about the, the course and the direction was, the nation took? He, he had lived through the change, so he knew change had taken place, but it was slow. He also saw John Kennedy, Robert Kennedy, um, Martin Luther King, a whole bunch of people who were trying to do, I think, would... He oh, worked yes. it. He backed up. Right. He was very close to Nelson Rockefeller, Hubert Humphrey. He saw people who could give leadership, and he saw social change. I mean, remember what the South was like when he started mm -hmm. and what it was like in the 70s. But he thought it was very slow, and it was not uh, pervasive enough, and that it was 
retrenching. I mean, you'd get make steps ahead, and there were always people who would push us backwards. So yes, he died feeling that that a lot more needed to be done, and that is true today. Well, again, it is true today, but the Jackie Robinson Foundation certainly doing their share, and I know you're doing the work that you and your husband actually started out yes, while he was still here. And congratulations to you on that. I want to tell you, I, I very much appreciate the time you spent. I, I could spend two hours with you, certainly talking about 1955 and Ebbets Field yes. and all the good that happened in Brooklyn. And maybe the most telling thing is Jackie Robinson, born and bred Californian, is buried in Brooklyn. Yes, and uh, and also became a national figure. The children writing to me from all over the world now about him because uh, he's been put on a historic figures list, and so they're doing they're entering contests. And writing essays about him. So I'm pleased that the younger generation is taking an interest, and that says something about the, the living legacy. Well, certainly one of the most compelling, I believe, individuals of this century. Uh, you can certainly start lining them up and start debating, but, but in my mind, Jackie Robinson, the, the idea of breaking the color barrier is much, much too simplistic. Yes, much too is. simplistic. You're right. simply talking about putting an individual in a time and place, and that's not what this was about. It ran much, much deeper than being the first of anything. No, you're talking about equal opportunities for all people. And that's a much broader subject, and it cuts across every avenue of life. Well, again, I appreciate your time tonight, Mr. Robinson. Thank you very much. Uh, We'll speak to you real soon. Thank you. That was Rachel Robinson. I have one correction to make. A couple of years later, I was just listening to that for the first time myself. Jackie Robinson was not born in California, born here in the state of Georgia. Somebody can tell me what city Jackie Robinson was born in. I I don't want to get it wrong. Jackie Robinson was born in Georgia. Where was he born? And I want to know this because I don't know if there's any historical landmark in the state of Georgia. I know down at Turner Field, they have a couple of statues, Phil Negro and a couple of others. Should there not perhaps be, with Jackie Robinson being born in Georgia, something down at Turner Field that actually, along with Henry Aaron and Phil Negro and a few others, is earmarked? He will have a statue in Brooklyn. The Brooklyn Cyclones Mets farm team is actually going to put a statue. I've told you this before, in case you haven't heard. Famous photo of Jackie Robinson putting an arm, excuse me, Pee Wee Reese putting an arm around Jackie Robinson. That statue is going to go up outside the Brooklyn Cyclones, the Mets minor league team's facility. Great place for it. But I made a mistake during that. I said born and bred in the state of California, and I know now Jackie Robinson was born in Georgia. Thanks again. I hope you enjoyed that, by the way. And I I, I hope my passion came across in a positive way. And it truly is one of the favorite things that I've ever done, one of the favorite people I've ever had a chance to speak to. Hopefully a mini history lesson there in about 23 minutes. First, let me say how much of a thrill it is to be coming into the Hall of Fame with Bob Feller, Mr. McKechnie and Mr. Rouse. I want to also let you know that I feel quite inadequate here this afternoon or this morning, but I think a lot of this has been eliminated because today it it seems that everything is complete. First of all, I want you to know that this honor that was brought upon me here could not have happened without the great work and the advice and guidance that I've had from three of the most wonderful people that I know. And if either of them weren't here today, I know that this day could not be complete. But they're all here, and I I just hope you don't mind if I just pay a a word of thanks and a a tribute to my advisor and a wonderful friend, a man who I considered a father, Mr. Branch Rickey. And my mother, who taught me so much of the important things early in life, I appreciate no end. My mother, Mrs. Robinson. And and lastly, ladies and gentlemen, my wife, who has been such a wonderful inspiration to me and the person who has guided and advised me throughout our entire marriage. I, I couldn't have been here today without her help. And then I... 
in sitting down, I must thank the baseball writers. I never thought at all that I would have this wonderful honor coming to me so early in my lifetime. And to have the writers to elect me on the first time is a thrill that I shall never forget. We have been up in cloud nine since the election. I don't ever think I'll come down. But I want to thank all of the people throughout this country who were just so wonderful during those trying days. I appreciate it no end. It's the greatest honor any person could have. And I only hope that I'll be able to live up to this tremendously fine honor. It's, it's something that I think those of us who are fortunate again must use in order to help others because it's such a tremendous honor that we should be able to go out and do things to help. I'm just grateful and I'm sorry to have taken so long, but I just wanted you to know I appreciate it so much. Thank you. Grand Tricky call it the, the winds of change. And the winds are gonna blow and the, the winds are gonna become tornadoes and, 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 and hurricanes and things are gonna change in this world. And Jackie said we're bitter now, but we're going to change one letter in the word bitter. We're going to change the I to E, and things are going to get better. We have to make it work, though. And we did make it work, and we made history. Ricky knew who he picked. He picked a man who could turn the other cheek and take it for three years, not get involved in any incidents, and do a good job of a guy who could perform under pressure. And gentlemen, I can only say this is one of the truly great moments of my life. And to be here with Roy and Sandy and to see the way that the O'Malley's have reacted is awfully important to me. And I want to thank them for all the many, many opportunities they've afforded me. And I'm sure that in the immediate future, things are going to improve a, a great deal. You know, the second base is in. If you pass, you can make it in. Old man Solomon is the umpire. And Satan pitching a game. He'll do his best. Strike you out, but keep playing just the same. A couple of fellows decided they were going to try to propose a boycott, a strike, and that they would attempt to get all the fellows on. I think it was Peter Reese whose strength was, you know, quite good. Dixie want to know how can you, a Southerner, not participate in this so-called boycott? But Pee-wee, from the outset, felt that if I were the only white guy trying to break in the whole black league, I'd want somebody to be my friend. And he says that Jackie Robinson has the ability and he can make it, that's all I'm going to have. I want a player who's got the guts not to fight back. Better have the guts turn the other cheek. Maybe tomorrow we'll all wear 42. That way they won't tell us apart. Do it. Give me a uniform.